Welcome to 600 Pixels, a podcast that goes below the fold of the World Wide Web to see how professionals in the industry design and build better digital experiences for everyone. I'm Travis Self, a front-end developer here at LifeBlue. And I'm Caitlin Studley, Director of Culture here at LifeBlue. In this episode, we're sitting down with Mess Wright, the founder and director of the Dallas Fab Lab at Workshops, to chat about digital fabrication, the new color workforce, and how technology has the power to democratize education and learning for all. Let's give it a listen. Welcome to the podcast, Mess. Hello. We have Mess Wright with us today. She is the founder and director of the Dallas Fab Lab at Workshops, which is a uh, local make- makerspace uh, and digital fabrication lab based in East Dallas. Uh, how's it going, Mess? That's me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're here. You made the trip all the way up to Plano from little old East Dallas. How did you get here today? On the dart, all things dart. And yeah. I'm, I am so impressed with the bougie buses up here. All things dart. How long did it take you to get up here? Uh, like probably an hour and a half. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, that's rough. The podcast thanks you for your pilgrimage. It was, I didn't have to drive, so low stress. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's good. You can do stuff while you're riding, unlike like the rest of us. Like try to keep yourself commute. from getting killed. Did oh, you shanked. listen to any <laughs> podcast about getting killed on your way up here? Oh, I just told you that I that's y- all yeah, I listen y- to is murder murder exactly. podcasts. Exactly. So did you listen to any murder podcast on the way oh, up here? You got to keep your wits about you in uh, the public <laughs> transportation. <laughs> that's, true. that's what I hear from you all You don't want to get distracted. Dallas folk. Oh yeah. my goodness. This is a good point. Uh, yeah. Well, uh why don't you tell our guests a little bit about yourself and your background so it makes sense to them why you made it all the way up here to plan to chat with us today. It doesn't all the way makes sense to me, but my <laughs> original career was in senior housing. So I did recreation therapy for people with age-related disorders, and then I ended up in sales because logically you go from trying to make people's lives better to selling them stuff. Um, no, I needed to do that <laughs> Those for aren't money. The same thing. No, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I th- I'm proud of that career, but I uh, something I did for money, and the minute that I had enough money to not do it, I was on to something else. So when my kids were little, this is 2010, I started a party room in Lake Highlands called The Lab. And all that it was was the old science place had closed, the Perot Museum had not opened yet. And those years, while we were waiting for the Perot Museum to be open, there was no science place in town. And that's when my kids needed it. So really, it was me trying to meet a need in my own community for my own family. And that party room has evolved. I'm in my 10th year right now. Somehow, I have no idea how I'm still uh, doing this, but it's uh, on its fifth iteration or something like that. And I, and I joke about that and make light of it, but really it's that I started this at a time when you had to tell everybody what STEM meant, like every phone call I had to field was, you know, people would call me and say, well, what do you have for girls? And I was like, science? We have, we do science for girls? And so, you know, having a place that was just not your typical birthday party place, I was already on the forefront of something. And so added some summer camps to that and just kept adding programs. And in 2016, I really started getting myself, I was into the maker movement. I thought this is the future and people who are comfortable with all kinds of tech, not just something super specific, um, and with 
digital fabrication, I felt like those people were going to kind of own the future. So that's put me where I am today, which is a fab lab is, um, or when you call yourself a fab lab, it's, it's part of the MIT franchise. And so I'm in this global network that um, it doesn't really dictate to us how to behave, but it offers a lot of resources. And that's because it's sourced globally. So there's, I mean, the amount of talent and people and resources and information that you can exchange, to me, being part of that network made at least some part of my my owning this space easy for the first time. And I, that's, I'm a fab lab now. Very cool. Well, congrats on that. I know it was no small feat. Uh, and you actually won an award this year as well, didn't you? <laughs> I did. Tell yeah. us about the award. Uh, I, I'm in something called Fab Academy, which is it's a class that is an MIT class called How to Make Almost Anything. And they've turned it into an academy, almost like a boot camp for people that would run Fab Labs. And I didn't pass Fab Academy this year. <laughs> because, yeah, well, yeah. The, 2019, I was a student, did not pass. <laughs> but I did win uh, an award in that network. It was a Forest CNC Awards, an entrepreneurship award. So it's for a Fab Lab that is fostering entrepreneurship in their community and I won that and that came with a really nice CNC router um, so now I have a fancy piece of equipment too nice awesome very cool so if someone were to walk into a fab lab I know you're still in the process of kind of setting yours up and exploring what the right fit uh, for your space looks like but if someone were to walk into a fab lab can you maybe tell us a little bit about what they might see or maybe some of the things that they could create um, so Fab Labs are, you should be able to walk in off the street and make almost anything. So I have an electronics lab and I have 3D printers, um, tons and tons of, of digital devices like Chromebooks and laptops and MacBooks and that kind of thing. Uh, and we have programming built around those topics. So, um, you know, my only criticism of the, the whole Fab network, at least in the U.S., is that most of these fab labs aren't open to the public. They're in a university, so if you have one, like UT Arlington has one, you have to be a student or a member of faculty. And that's great if you're a student and member of faculty, but if you just are a guy who lives in Arlington and you want to rapid, you know, do some rapid prototyping of a great idea you have, you, you're not going to get access to that lab. So mm -hmm. I, w what was important to me um, and it's, it's an ideal because right now I'm like, I don't have a lot of staff. It's just me and, uh, keeping the doors open all the time in case someone wants to wander off the streets, not the most practical or realistic idea. But, um, the, I do want people to be able to come in and use those machines and make things and, and really launch businesses that you know, the entrepreneurship side is, is a big part of it. Um, or if you just want to learn. If yeah. you just want to hands-on learn, it's one thing to have a curiosity about 3D printing and go online and watch videos. Um, and, and 3D printers, the cost of them has come down. I mean, considerably, a lot of people can afford to just buy one. But what do you do when it breaks? You know, or how do you, where do you go to learn how to use that? So my, my goal is to be that sort of open space for the Dallas community. Very cool. Um, so talk to me a little bit about how you have crafted, I know you've talked about kids programming. I think we kind of have an idea of some of that, but maybe looking towards adult programming and how, you know, you're talking about seeing digital fabrication and, and that type of stuff, uh, just the digital space as the future. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you've approached 
or even how your approach has evolved over time as you're looking to educate adults and think about alternative education? Well, with the kids stuff, I I had my own kids. And so as I came up with a program, it was like, oh, this is easy. My kid's into this and I'll learn everything about it. And then I'll make a program and I'll sell it to some people. Um, I didn't want to, you know, I'm 10 years into this. I'm tired. I didn't want to do the same thing for adult learning. <laughs> um, and, and that's part of why I joined the FAB network was to have all the resources that are there and not reinvent the wheel. Um, last year so what are we in 2019 in 2018 I went to World Maker Fair and I heard a woman named Sarah Boisvert speak about what she called the new collar workforce and she had um, written a book and that book is got a lot of data to back it and it was about training manufacturing workers and sort of you know what new collar workers so that's middle skills people that wouldn't necessarily um, go and get an engineering degree or a computer science degree uh, so she had been already putting together programs and I kind of hooked up with her I really just I wrote her like fan mail (laughs) I mean I got on LinkedIn and wrote her a letter and thought she'd be like oh you know that's nice weird lady Um, but instead we started talking and it was kind of like hey do you want to jump in on this so um, right now I mean literally this month we're rolling out uh, the first digital badge in 3d printing Um, and so that'll have like CAD it'll it'll do a design element and then it'll be here's how to operate a 3d printer and then there's another badge coming that's a 3d um printer so there's a there's a operator and a technician badge so the technician will come first so we'll break 3d printers and fix them and so it's super exciting to be part of it and and i the thing i'm the most excited about is the curriculum and this has always been i think why i was never in formal education and or or had any desire to get into uh, a formal ed setting is i have no patience and when I see that you could teach something better, I want to teach it better, and I don't want to have to ask a bunch of people if it's okay to do it that way. All of the curriculum for these digital badges is very fluid. Um, and I, I think that's a lot of that is the future of learning. I think sort of rapid pace, micro-credentials, low cost, low barrier to entry. Um, I'm not vetting people in a really serious way. If they want to take the program, uh, I'm not going to you know, be predatory about it and just be out taking people's money. Um, But at the same time, if you'd like to come and learn to fix a 3D printer at my space, you just have to want to do that. So. That's cool. So my only knowledge of 3D printing is from this documentary that I watched. And that's how (laughs) I. Was it Print the Legend? It was Print the Legend, (gasps) which is a great documentary, but that's how I try to sound smart. I just talk about all the documentaries I've seen. One of our coworkers recently started uh, 3D printing, and now he's into airbrushing. Uh, yes, and, that's right. And painting all so the he, things he's 3D printing. He's actually been on this podcast. His name yes. is Derek. Yeah, Derek. I think Rodell. episode three. Yeah. Anyway, like um, is MakerBot still a thing? And yeah. Formlabs. Yeah, Formlabs is, is amazing. Do you guys have? Either uh, of those? So I, I'm I'm all about the Form Three. Okay. That's the next printer. Is that yeah. the from, from Formlabs? So did they yeah. win the battle? You think? Because it was definitely, uh, or at least that documentary. Well, they was haven't like, really sold out. You know, like I good. think that was a major theme in that. So I love the print. I love print the legend. And and what I think most people don't know, and print the legend talks about this, mm-hmm. is that the reason that three D printing has been able to become so uh, desktop and and kind of coming into the home and every office is that 
few years ago, a bunch of patents expired. Mm. And so, you know, Print the Legend is about the race to become that sort of household name for the lower cost, Mm -hmm. you know, 3D printer. Yeah. And I'm such a dork about that. Like I get so excited. And and what I think is funny about it is Form Labs is, is really outstanding in in that documentary and their story is outstanding and they're MIT dorks, so I'm a total MIT groupie, obviously. Mm-hmm. But um they are all about the SLA printer and the FDM printer is the one that is is sort of commonly in homes and schools. So uh that's why MakerBot and who's the other one who's on there? I can't remember. The other company? Yeah. Stratasys? Oh, yeah. They're, well, that's... I'm cheating. Huge. I'm on the Wikipedia right now. So. That's okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess it was the, the, the founder of MakerBot was sort of, you know, framed as like the evil yeah. villain in the documentary, which... You know, he's he sold out, I guess. He sold the company to Well, and it was not just that. It was it was taking things from open source to closed source. I think that's yeah. where the selling out look right. you you need corporations to put money behind this stuff, especially if you want it to get cheaper and cheaper and more affordable and more common. But it was the the patents expiring is what has in a sense democratized this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or at least made it um, attainable for somebody like me. Right. Um, but what MakerBot did is the minute that they were like, oh, this stuff won't be open source anymore. They they muddied all that back up, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and they took it back to this really capitalist place. And makers are kind of socialist in a lot of their, um, you know, we we're all about sharing information. And so I think that's why MakerBot's the bad guy. But yeah, Whatever. you know, you know how documentaries are. They always have to yeah. Just sort pick of make a side. A, you yeah, have to ha- you, nobody uh, nobody makes a documentary without having a stance on something. Yeah, you have to have some yeah. sort of like a storyline, you know. And yeah. he was definitely the. It's such the a villain. good story, though. Like, it is. Everybody needs to. If you're nerdy at all, it doesn't matter what you're nerdy about, and especially if you're nerdy about something tech related, you have to watch Print the Legend. It's a David and Goliath type thing, you know. Yeah. And multiple it. multiple layers of David and Goliath, you know. It's really good. So. As to go back to the space a little bit, you kind of talked about this in the beginning when you were mentioning that you had to explain to parents what STEM was. Mm -hmm. We are currently in a moment where everybody thinks that it's sexy to teach your kids to code. They want their kids to be able to code and be developers. Can you talk a little bit about what your goal is in programs, whether it's kids or adults, when they come to learn you know, are you doing pure coding stuff? Are you focused on outcomes, skills? What types of things are you kind of focused on? So to go back to Sarah Boisvert and her book, The New Collar Workforce, um, what she heard over and over and over talking to over 200 people that are that hire and train people in manufacturing settings um, was that the number one thing they were looking for was critical thinking skills. And so the this sort of sexy sell that we have now to, you know, stick a device in a kid's hand and, you know, get your kid coding. Um, I, really, you need to teach your kids critical thinking skills. And some of that is is basic as letting them pick out their own clothes and you know walking into a store and not saying oh you know that toy you want is a piece of junk and it's going to break let them buy it and figure out that it's going to break so um, I say all that when I started 
getting into the maker stuff and tech programs, I was teaching coding to kids as young as three or four because there are apps that you don't even have to read and you can drag um, some commands and put them in the correct sequence and you can watch a little turtle move across the screen and Technically, yes, your kid just coded something successfully. Is that going to make them an app developer? No. <laughs> uh, could you teach your kid that with just leaving them on the floor to line up all their dinosaur toys or throw them down a slide uh, at the playground? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I kind of think you should. I mean, I spent about a year teaching coding to preschool kids. And uh, the, the two takeaways that I had from that one was that the screen addiction. It's so disturbing to see and it's so disturbing to be a teacher or a parent. I didn't have this problem because my kids are older and we didn't have iPads when they were babies. Um, But to be ripping a screen out of a kid's hand at the end of the day and for me to have a class full of kids and you were ripping the screens out of their hands is terrible. There's a book called Glow Kids that I always tell people to read if they are having any trouble with their kids um, being screen addicted and it talks about sort of where that comes from and the why of it and it's it's very sound so where I stand today is I don't have kids under 10 on screens um, occasionally like in that 8 to 10 year old range if there's a digital device can solve a problem or they can learn something and that's really pertinent to a lesson or to a project or a problem they're trying to solve. Totally cool. But otherwise, uh, just as a rule, I don't let anybody under 10 on a screen. I don't want to foster any of the screen addiction. Like it's, it's very important to me. How do you think, you know, obviously kind of the theme of our podcast is creating better, better digital experiences for everyone. How do you think that we in the future might look towards bridging that gap and finding, you know, cause I could, I can hear people probably cringing and feeling guilty as they're listening to this, maybe thinking, well, there's been plenty of times where I've given my kid a screen and maybe they felt bad about it after, or maybe that was just the best thing at the time. How do you think that we'll move towards finding a balance where our kids can have some screen time, but maybe not as that's not the, you know, make my kid shut up solution. Yeah. And well, helping them learn. I mean, I think the good news is you can always go back, right? If you look at your child and you're like, oh, this child is screen addicted. I mean, you just take it away. There was a, a day that I left my phone at home and I had to be very far from home all day. And I just remember at first getting all this anxiety and then going, well, does it really matter? And by the end of the day, I just felt like free of something. And you can do that for your child. You just, you go and you turn the thing off or you put it away or you don't have it anymore. Um, you know, for us, it's, it's funny when, let, let's say I have a week long camp for spring break and I get a room full of kids and I am a makerspace. And if you look online, you know that we do 3D printing and we do you know, computer-aided design for 3D printing. So you see kids on laptops and that sort of thing. And so there's this assumption, like you're going to come in and and do all these digital things. Um, And really what I say over and over is, is there a low-tech solution to this problem? Is there a low-tech way to make the thing you want to make? And that always confuses kids. You're like, yeah, but this is the computer place. And I'm like, no, it's really not. It's the place to make something. It's the place to solve a problem. It's the place to learn something. Do you have to have a digital device to do this? And when when the answer is yes, that's the best tool, that's cool. And you should employ that technology. So um, my nephew is approaching 10. He wants to learn how to code. I'm excited about this because yeah. I'm a coder. Yeah. Nerd. <laughs> um, what would you say is a good 
because there's all sorts of, like you said, there's things on there where it's like, hey, this is teaching them how to code, quote unquote. Yeah. And it's not actually teaching them how to be a developer, like you said. Like, do you have any recommendations for like, you know, coding 101 stuff, but for kids, you know? Because he uses something called, you probably know what it is. It's it's a very, Scratch. He uses Scratch. Um, or at least he has a class where he uses Scratch. And I don't know if that's a good starting point or not, but I think what it does is at least get them the fundamentals of like programming logic and stuff, right? That's right. the idea. But he's not actually typing and coding anything. It's kind of a yeah. drag and drop type thing, right? So Scratch is a great place to start, and I start everybody on Scratch. Yeah. Um, and in fact, my son's in a high school computer science class, and they use it's it's the same it's a version it's block based coding yeah um so yeah you can learn the fundamentals that way you'll you'll get kids at ten who are really advanced and and right away they're bored with that for the most part kids like creating in there it's really open ended mm-hmm. so there are two schools of thought there's you should be um, doing this kind of free and open ended creative thing like Scratch allows for um, or you could do a more puzzle based thing that where there's a very like hardcore right and wrong way to do it right mm-hmm. um, an example of, of one of those would be um, oh Swift Playgrounds okay. Swift Playgrounds is on the iPad and it teaches Swift you know which is iOS development mm-hmm. and Swift Playgrounds if you don't get it right you don't get it right. Well, that that's yeah. what happens when you're a developer, right? right. Um, but do, do you need to start someone there? I, I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's probably it harder for them to learn that too. Yeah. 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 Well, and and um, but again, you know, I, I think this is why it's really important to find people, and I I am one of those people, um, that can look at a kid and say, you know, you're this more creative type, or mm-hmm. your your thinking is more linear, and the creative stuff, you you're just like, well, what's the point of this? Something I love, and I think is it meets the needs of either of those types of kids, right? Or either of those types of personalities is um, Microsoft make code. Mm. So make code does have block based. Um, there, there's a, basically a development environment for uh, a bunch of different hardware. That's really common and low cost hardware uh, like microcontrollers. Um, there's, there's one that's called the micro bit and the BBC created the micro bit they wanted to give it to every i think fourth year or fifth year mm. student in the whole country forever so you know they have a jump start on teaching kids how to use microcontrollers in the uk but there's a development environment on microsoft make code for programming that micro bit and it's cool because you can learn input and output and it is block based so the you there's a lot it's just pretty easy to learn mm-hmm. you can just walk in off the street and and really i'd start an adult on that to be honest really, with you yeah. um but what's great is if you have a kid like for me let's say i have a class of 10 10 year olds and it's going to be all over the place with how quickly they pick that up and understand that if you have a child that's moving really quickly through that there's uh you can toggle on in any of these development environments with these boards you can toggle between the block-based coding and and typing in java strip mm. java strip i just said JavaScript. That's sexy. That's another um, <laughs> sexy new program. I, I made that up. Um, I that's going to be my my uh, roller derby name. JavaScript. <laughs> um, no, but but you could have a kid, you know, sitting there and typing out JavaScript if they're advanced in the same room or same classroom. So or at I, least I, it would show them like, hey, all the stuff that I dragged up. This is the this is what this it looks is the like. Code. Yeah, that's, yeah. yeah that's it's so nice. it's so brilliant, and I I don't hear people talk about it enough, and um, it also like some of the other boards at one point in time there was like a beta version where you could program the uh, 
the Mindstorms, the Lego Mindstorm robotics mm. kits really cool. where that was one way you could code them. So that was really cool. Uh, but if you kind of keep up with Microsoft make code as a teacher or a parent, I think that's a good okay. for a 10 year old, great place to start. Awesome. Lego Mindstorms are real cool though. They're pretty fun. Yeah, they're pricey. I mean, I think there's a yeah. whole bunch of stuff where you Legos can start learning robotics. Mm -hmm. The problem is a parent doesn't know that, right? A parent's yeah. not going to get online and like buy a bunch of random, you know, stepper motors and servo yeah. motors mm -hmm. and, you know, on an Amazon. And, and you could, you could do that for a fraction of the cost. But I mean, a Mindstorm kit, yeah, right away your kid that is smarter than you can start learning robotics <laughs> and, and you won't hinder their, you know, growth. <laughs> yeah, right. I think that's the thing that gets scary when we start talking about screen usage, right? Is like these kids are smarter than their parents. They yeah. know how to use the technology better than their parents. Like kids who are three, four years old who figure out if I point the fa the phone at mommy's face, it'll unlock. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's kind of wild. That's so. scary. Yeah. yeah. It's their, Crazy. well, they're natives, right? They're digital natives mm -hmm. and they're growing up with it and, I mean, even my own son, who's 15, he's like, you didn't let us do any of this stuff, you know? And he whispers it to me like he doesn't want anybody to figure out I'm a phony and a fraud because I'm teaching 10-year-olds when I didn't let my kids have, uh, they couldn't get a cell phone or computer till like 12 or 13, so, you know. Which still seems really young if you think yeah. about it in retrospect yeah. to like, I didn't have a I don't cell think, phone yeah. at that yeah. age. But like it gets, you get, it gets younger and younger or whatever, right? Yeah. There I mean, was, I had AOL when I was oh. in high school oh, yeah. and we were, we were doing things our parents didn't know about on oh, AOL. Yeah. Going, oh. Getting into chat yeah. rooms and stuff. Yeah. You know? ASL. <laughs> ASL, yeah. Dude, those were the days. Man. I had a GeoCities page. Oh, oh was, who did yeah. Come on. I had a, I had a flicker With the stick trailing, the words that would trail behind your cursor, like <laughs> a rainbow. The, yeah, the marquee that would yep. go across the screen. So good. Don't, now, didn't they like archive all the GeoCity pages? You oh my, my God. <laughs> I would, I would pay good money Somebody to did. see my first GeoCity page. I don't know if all of them were cached, but. And the pixelated pictures that I posted to things. And, oh and like, I really, found my like, MySpace uh, recently. I would oh, like you can, for yeah, you all of that to die. That. Like, Live Journal. No. Don't want any, anything to do with it's that a website. Piece of his, here we go. OOCities.org. Oh boy! Oh, yeah, I'll be on there tonight for sure. <laughs> you can search. Let She'll be see. in the chat rooms tonight. The best is about the GeoCities. Yeah. Well, the best is like when I meet like some guy on a dating app, and I go and I like Google him, and I find his MySpace or something, oh, and God. it's like, yeah. Well, I'm a deep stalker too, so <laughs> I don't know that most people go because I, I learned this from somebody that told me one time. Um, I, I was asking him something about his background. I said, it's just, you know, you've done so many really interesting things. And he's like, no, I haven't. And he said that he paid somebody to create all these fake personas to bury like a single bad story about him, like six pages deep into Google. And he knew which page people statistically always stop at. Oh yeah. Fascinating conversation. So I've paid attention to that. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I should write a blog post and push, you know, and I don't have anything negative out there about me, but it's just, it's worth considering. That's all I'm saying. Don't look, don't Life Google hack. mess right yeah. and go to page six. <laughs> you'll be horrified at what you'll find. Well, no, but do that for yourself. Like one of the biggest awards I ever won in my life, I accidentally found out I had won years before. Nobody ever told me I won it um, because I was joking that, you know, there, this guy was crazy and I kept saying, oh, how do people not know this guy's a crook? And, and they said, well, how did you find out? And I said, well, I just Googled him like, duh. And then I was like, I had never Googled myself. Now this is years ago, bef like before I was paying attention or had this business, yeah. but, um, 
no, like Google yourself and go back many, many pages. It gets interesting <laughs> sometimes. Decline. I've just gone down the rabbit hole looking at these GeoCities sites. Oh boy. I'm sure they're I'm so glad difficult. I said GeoCities. Some someone will do some kind of throwback thing like that soon that'll become all the rage, don't you think? Well that's what they did with the um Captain Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel. They did an old GeoCity style website for that movie. So if you went to it, it was like all the tacky animations and oh, that's great. Yeah, all well, of the bright, so, all the bright font colors. So you know, like famously, the Space Jam website is still up. The original <gasps> yeah. Space Jam one is still up, and wow. everybody finds it and like, oh, and then they share it, and it's this whole thing. Yeah, and then Captain Marvel like actually you know made their official site for captain marvel yeah yeah it looks like a geocities page i'll we'll have to show it to i you just later. found that um silicon valley has a pied piper page yeah. which I mean, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm late to the game on right. that but yeah. i was re-watching silicon valley for some reason oh goodness i know now, i don't know did they do that because did captain marvel take place in the 90s and that's why they did that or were they I, just like cashing in on the i have the no craze? idea actually i just remember finding the site and being very confused it is and glorious amused. yeah um, so let's wrap it up. Why don't we uh, share with people how they can connect with you online? How can they learn more about workshops and the Fab Lab at workshops? And maybe how can they connect with you on social media? I'm so easy to find. Uh, workshops is with a C. Uh, W-O-R-K-C-H-O-P-S, workchops.org. And I'm mess, like what a mess, right? W-R-I-G-H-T. And you can Google that. And I'm on all the things. And so... Yeah, find me online and hit me up. I love to talk about nerdy things, and I love to talk about the future of work, and I love to talk about education, and I love to support other people that are in any of those spaces that just sometimes you just want to talk or scream or cry about all those things. Like You can find me for that. Awesome. awesome. Likewise, uh, if anybody's looking to connect with our podcast online, we have a Twitter account, which is at 600PXFM. And if you're looking for our site online, it is 600px.fm. So get at us. Uh, you can add us. We don't mind. Everyone says, don't at me. You can at me. I'll reply. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, reach out, get in touch, uh, share our episodes. You can listen to us on pretty much any platform you listen to podcasts. So if you have a friend who doesn't listen on Apple and they're only Spotify, you can find us there too. So thanks for coming to hang out with us and chat with us. Thank yes. you. This was super fun. Thank you.